African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good morning, good morning and welcome to African Dialogue, the very first show of the year. Happy 2019, everybody. May you all have a prosperous year ahead. You're tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa, bringing you news from an African perspective. I'm your host, Ayandam Kwanazi, and we're currently on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. Now, today on the show, we're looking at the year 2019, which is said to be a very busy year for most around the world. Some have named it the year of elections, especially on the African continent. So, today on the show, as we had said earlier, we take a look at the events and stories that will likely make the headlines for the year. To help us unpack this discussion, we're joined by Professor Patrick Bond, who's a political economist, and also Dr. Martin Rupia, who's an executive director at the African Public Policy and Research Institute. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Ayanda. Um, Dr. Martin, maybe we can just start with you. You know, um, how did 2018 end for you? Are there any stories worth mentioning that might also um, be part of 2019 as we start the year? I think from your opening remarks, the elections, as the African Union has uh, noted, remains the site of struggle in African political states. Uh, the succession through free and fair democratic elections uh, is something that is still to be consolidated. So 2018 mm-hmm. reflected a number of those challenges in Madagascar, uh, in Libera, Congo, as we see right now. And uh, I think when we look forward to 2019, again, we have about 12 elections taking place in Africa and a number of other African countries. So bottom line, elections remain the center of struggle on the African continent. Mm. And uh, Professor Bond, what's your take on on the political, also um, economic um, arena? Well, I have absolutely full respect for uh, Martin, but I completely disagree. I think elections can be quite trivial. Um, Typically, uh, the liberal faith in free elections and free markets doesn't work in Africa because um, we have excessive exploitation of the continent's wealth, mainly by Western multinationals, but increasingly by BRICS. And since we hosted the BRICS here in Johannesburg, in July, we should be very, very careful, especially because there's a new Brazilian uh, president who has already begun the process of paving over the Amazon jungle and dropping out of the United Nations Climate Summit. So um, that'll absolutely devastate Africa. Um, but particularly because um, elections, when we've had them, uh, haven't really changed the bigger rule. So very quickly, there are three areas. One is the geopolitical turbulence in the world, given that Donald Trump remains a complete maniac uh, with uh, war threats. And now that the Russians have developed extremely sophisticated military activities, uh, the Chinese are um, uh, engaged in military expansion, especially in the South Chinese Sea. We are looking at a 2019 where, in order to build up to his re-election campaign, mm-hmm. if he uh, survives potential impeachment, Trump will become much more aggressive in the old imperialist style. 
The second, so South Africa could be drawn in. As you know, uh, Donald Trump thinks of this continent. He, he calls it a mm. S, and I can't say the word, and then whole. Um, but uh, John Bolton, his uh, national security advisor, has been much more active here in um, fermenting uh, uh, trouble. He did, in fact, just at the end of December, say he's going to have a kind of competition with China um, and the way in which a new Cold War emerges, African uh, uh, countries must decide which side they're on. The second is the economics, because we mm. have a, a meltdown in world finance and uh, the, the recent stock market crash in the U.S. and, of course, here in South Africa. It's just one simple indication, but general financial turbulence all over. And Africa is getting really the short end of the stick because we've dropped, especially here in South Africa, our main exchange controls to give us some um, prevention. And the third big picture is environment. And the climate change crisis is just uh, racing right ahead. And uh, unfortunately, South Africa is on the wrong side of history on that, given that we're such a big fossil fuel dependent um, uh, economy. But the rest of Africa is going to be suffering unless uh, their leaders stand up in the United Nations. The United Nations, again, in Poland just last month, showed itself to be mm. utterly irrelevant in addressing this big climate crisis because, um, A, it's ruled out any climate debt in North Africa, Africa's vast debt for the droughts and extreme weather, the flooding, um, the kind of thing that Cape Town has experienced, mm. uh, shortage of water. Um, but also, uh, the North is just insistent, and South Africa joins them in not making the emissions cuts we need. Those are, to me, the big-picture items. Martin me, a few elections around the continent, this one in South Africa will be, you know, fairly predictable. They won't make much difference unless we tackle those big picture problems. Mm. Now, staying a bit on that econ, uh, Professor Bond, I mean, last year South Africa didn't do so so well in the first um, half of the year. We had the recession, job losses. I mean, um, can we expect a bit of a reprieve uh, this year? No, not at all. And I think we're sliding deeper down the slope, mainly because of three brothers that have engaged in what's called state capture here. Mm. Some of you might think I mean the Gupta brothers from Saxonwald, but I actually mean three brothers from New York. And they're the ones that have controlled, since 1994, our treasury and our reserve bank. And I think anyone listening to you from uh, any African capital city knows that uh, they don't have much power in the African cities. The power is in New York in the three brothers. And their names are very well known, Standard & Poor's, Fitch, and Moody. So those credit-rating agencies in February mm-hmm. here in South Africa, we'll be telling our new finance minister, Tito Mbueni, what to do. And that's just the, the basic uh, rules of world financial markets because we have such a big foreign debt. It's over $170 billion. The total African foreign debt uh, is now up around $500 billion, but we've been driving it from South Africa as well as many countries that have been indebted to the Chinese, uh, like Angola and uh, Nigeria. And it seems to me, until we come to grips with that kind of control, the economic control by the credit rating agencies speaking for world finance. And mm. until we come to grips with Africa and South Africa, especially being looted by mining houses, uh, especially and petroleum companies, uh, the estimations by the World Bank a year ago were about $150 billion a year. That also would be added to what Cabo and Becky had uh, found about $80 billion a year in illicit financial flows plus outflows of profit. So we're, we're looking at a, an amazing drainage of South Africa uh, and Africa's wealth. And until we come to grips with that, no, we're still down a slippery slope. Even if we have a small recovery and we go to 1% growth, that's still negative per person. We have about 1.4% population growth. These are the things that worry me because mostly our leaders turn their back when it comes to addressing those tough problems. They simply go with the flow. They're kind of allies 
mm. of uh, Western powers, the multinationals, and I have to say the BRICs, who are becoming even worse at this exploitative process. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Rapier, I mean, you, you mentioned elections. If we can just go back to, to, to that discussion. Um, South Africa is having a, their election as well in May, um, a, an election that everybody's anticipating to possibly change many lives in terms of seeing how the Zuma era, people were divided, you know, there was a, a drop in confidence, and now we're seeing Ramaphosa trying to slowly increase or improve that confidence. Um, I mean, there was that Ipsos report as well uh, yesterday predicting that the ANC is likely to take, um, take, take this election once more. Um, what, do you, what do you think the ANC stands in this general election? Okay, I, I'm laughing here at my friend uh, Patrick, uh, who did not have the courage to call uh, Trump what he called Africa. <laughs> but you know, on a more serious note, yes. I think elections is relative. He is right in what he is saying. Mm. If you look at the Chinese, what they have actually done is the Chinese Communist Party have changed the constitution and allowed President Xi to continue in power. The same is true in another model in Russia. Mm-hmm. You have this Putin-Medvedev, you know, uh, uh, you know, dynamic. Uh, each one goes out and comes back in. So even when we talk about elections, we have to interrogate what is the method of political succession. Uh, it is not, you know, universal. It is not the same. And and for many African states, of course, before I come to the ANC mm-hmm. uh, answer, is that we African states are trying to absorb two systems, the American two, you know, term and out, or maybe the European Westminster style. And in between those systems, in many, you know, states, uh, really you find confusion mm-hmm. and not clear on how, you know, countries will go forward. So, so uh, accepting the fact that uh, we, we have to use some model to, to undertake political succession, but I think the reality is if we look at Ethiopia, if we look at Kenya, uh, several other African countries, uh, Egypt, elections has not been the panacea. Mm-hmm. But this is the model that we have, you know, going forward. But to come to the ANC, uh, certainly for me, uh, I see since uh, uh, Nazarek, uh, December 2018, there has been a shift in terms of uh, positioning domestically and also the international engagement. Uh, and certainly Patrick may have more to say to that, but uh, I get a sense that uh, the ANC uh, internally has repositioned itself uh, amongst the other parties mm. in terms of, uh, you know, the elections that are perhaps scheduled in May of 2019 uh, and may be in a you know, stronger position uh, to reassert and perhaps even, you know, to get back into parliament in a higher percentage. Mm. But do you think that um, the ANC is still divided within, even after I, I Zuma has so. left? Uh, very much so. You still have factions, and uh, uh, you know, in terms of political theory, they need time to get together. You need, uh, you know, a clear ideology uh, uh, to come through the, you know, manifesto as to what is it that, you know, the party now stands for. Certainly, if you compare uh, the, the series of inquiries that are now being held, and, and the party manifesto in 2009 or whatever, th- there was a disjuncture. Mm. So going forward, I think the party has to regain the confidence of the electorate and, and reassert itself. But I think uh, uh, to end my remarks here is that to take into account what Patrick is saying, which is very uh, germane, it is the international environment mm-hmm. that creates the framework 
in which African countries are operating. Mm. And even as South Africa goes to sit for the third time at the UN Security Council, uh, it was really a non-voting you know, member. Out of the you know, 15, they would just come and go. So the international dynamics is, is that Africa continues to be uh, almost very marginal, and we cannot uh, almost restructure that framework. Mm. And the battle is what you know, Patrick is saying around the environment, uh, which Washington almost dismisses around, you know, the economic model. Uh, when you see, uh, you know, developed states mm. doing what they call uh, quantitative de- easing, they are in fact printing paper money. Mm. And, and so when it happens in Washington, you know, it's the correct thing to do, and it will never happen in many African states, otherwise the economies will just get bankrupt. But I will you know, allow my colleague to uh, step into that area. Mm. Um, Patrick, I'd like to go for a short break, but would you like to add something to um, Dr. Rupia? Yes, it is a, an interesting question whether there will be any change in the ANC because Tiruram, of course, is meant to be consolidating power and uh, periodically cleansing uh, as he's able, mm. depending on the power relationship, his party and the state of the so-called Gupta or Zupta, the Zuma Gupta Empire. And he's done so through, especially through um, parastatal agencies, the state-owned enterprises like ESCOM and Transnet mm. and SAA. But that hasn't brought them back to health. They're unfortunately still uh, suffering from, um, an, a, let me say, a hangover from, for example, Chinese loans mm. that went to Transnet. Uh, $5 billion were originally contracted to buy Chinese uh, rail equipment where there was a big kickback to the Gupta family. Um, and this, similar with ESCOM. In, in ESCOM's case, it also involves ANC's own mm. uh, fundraising institution, Chancellor House, as well as Hitachi, the company that ended up paying a fine in the United States, but not yet. So corruption is hardwired, and it's often, um, I think, tempting to understand Cyril Ramaphosa is not as a successful man who's come in and swept through already, but as somebody who's riding a tiger because Zuma still has a big block, especially in KwaZulu-Natal, uh, the most popular mm-hmm. um, of the ANC-based provinces, where they've done uh, traditionally very well, even though they've had a, a, an opposition there in Qatar. And I think the main thing for uh, Zuma to try to continue to maintain a little bit of a power base is that um, he'll demand that his own uh, personal troubles in the courts and um, his lack of legal funding be solved by Ramaphosa, and if he doesn't get that, he'll cause trouble in the next four months. So yes, it looks like the ANC will get more than 50%, but we really have a Ramazupta situation because still <laughs> Ramaphosa can't really control this, this tiger. He can't ride it properly, while someone like Jacob Zuma is uh, attempting all kinds of different strategies that sabotage and never rule out his abilities, even though he's lost so much power. He's still a very potent force. Well, that's the voice of Professor Patrick Bond, who's a political economist. We're also speaking to Dr. Martin Rupia. Let's go for a quick break. And I'd like us to, you know, talk a bit more about the reintroduction of South Africa into the UN Security Council as a non-permanent member, as Dr. Rupia has already touched on. But after the break. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem.
Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. This is Channel Africa. South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French, and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo, and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Welcome back to African Dialogue. Happy New Year if you're just joining us. Welcome to 2019. We are still here in African Dialogue. This is our very first show and we're looking at the year ahead and which stories are likely to make headlines, which ones dominated in 2018 and are likely to carry over into the new year. We are on the line with Professor Patrick Bond, who's a political economist, and also speaking to Dr. Martin Rupia, who's an executive director at the African Public Policy and Research Institute. Now, before the break, gentlemen, we just, uh, Dr. Rupi had mentioned the, the reintroduction of South Africa as a non-permanent member of the U- UN Security Council. Now, Dr. Rupi, it was interesting because, I mean, both of you have spoken about this international environment that continues to sort of control um, uh, politics in, in, in Africa. With us being readmitted, um, you know, what does it mean for South Africa? Let me say two things and then allow my colleague Patrick to come in. The first is, I think, South Africa is going in for the third time. Mm. And I have met colleagues who will be representing South Africa in New York. And they were quite clear in that going in for the third time, they wanted civil society, academics, and other actors to help them identify the key issues that they are going to be dealing with. Now, many of the issues that emerged were around uh, uh, African consensus on a number of issues, i.e. political governance issues uh, and also even uh, questions of environment. And and it clearly emerged that uh, it is very difficult to get African uh, uh, countries to reach a consensus on a particular subject or area. So that's the one side. Mm. The second is, of course, to recognize that within BRICS, this organization is, in fact, coming apart and is in fact not consolidating. And the point that Patrick was mentioning, uh, the, you know, uh, Brazilian, Brazilian president has really adopted and began to take positions that are really in violation of many positions that, uh, you know, many African countries have taken, including myself and others. So, so you have this dichotomy, you know, circling around. Uh, we will, you know, South Africa, you know, represent and act in consensus with BRICS at the UN Security Council, mm. or will it act with the African countries? In both areas, there are divisions. And the last point would be, of course, South Africa itself uh, is being pulled and pushed to play a greater role on the African continent. Mm. Uh, uh, you see crisis, you know, from Khartoum in Sudan, 
Juba, where you have appointed the deputy uh, president, Mabuza, uh, in Lesotho. Uh, now we have this Gabon thing, DR Congo. So it's certainly playing a role on the UN Security Council is going to be a major challenge mm-hmm. against, you know, efforts to consolidate the African National Congress itself, you know, at home. So the last point for me would be perhaps the last nine years or ten years, South Africa has not really paid too much attention towards foreign policy issues. And now going into the UN Security Council for the third time, they need perhaps to look at what they've done wrong in the past and try to tease out the issues that are related to you know, going forward. Professor Bond, um, I mean, how difficult is it for a country to be admitted to the Security Council? And um, is it of any significance that we are in there for the third time? Yes, let's just start with the most important question. Why isn't South Africa a permanent member? Mm. Uh, We should have been many years ago uh, achieving democracy, having the strongest economy, having a president like Nelson Mandela, who was so universally revered. So it's very interesting to ask, why would the the former colonial powers, the, the free sitting there from uh, abuses of, of Africa for so many decades, the U.S., Britain, and France. We know they would not want to dilute their share. But there are two others, China and Russia. Um, and um, it's unfortunate that even under the BRICS framework, in which there's supposedly fraternal support and solidarity, the uh, Chinese and Russians don't want to dilute, not only uh, by having uh, South Africa, but what will become very soon the world's most populous country, India, Mm. and Brazil, not to mention Germany and Japan, which have put in bids, or Nigeria, which could make a strong case as the most populous and largest economy. Um, Now, these um, uh, power relations mean that if you're just going there for your two-year term, as South Africa is, and you get a month sharing now and again, um, you're really tokenistic. And um, the real question is whether South Africa wanted uh, more forcefully take up African interests. And it seems to me uh, most of the continent looking at the role that South Africa has played, mm. particularly with the BRICS in things like climate or the International Monetary Fund reform or the World Trade Organization, should really have no trust that the Pretoria self-interest equates with Africa's self-interest. We have a middle position, some would call it a sub-imperialist mm. position, because in the WTO we promote uh, more free trade than is useful for small African countries that need to protect infant industries. Or in the IMF, we were part of restructuring that destroyed Africa's voting power in 2015, um, the last time they restructured the votes. Countries like Nigeria lost 41%, while China went up 37%. Um, And thirdly, at the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, as I mentioned, the big conference in uh, Poland last month, Mm. South Africa typically lines up with the BRICS and the West, especially the U.S., EU and the major fossil fuel countries, Canada um, and Saudi Arabia and uh, Australia. And the agenda there, as I mentioned, is to avoid any responsibility that those countries, including South Africa, have for destroying Africa's um, river systems, uh, agricultural capacity, because of climate change. We owe them a climate debt, right? And South Africa's leadership and, and alliances with the West and the BRICS mean we're not going to pay that and we're not going to make the cut. So I think that would be a very good question. Why aren't we on the Security mm-hmm. Council, and do we act in Africa's interest? And the answers are quite unfortunate. We don't have many friends like Russia and China. They don't want mm-hmm. on the Security Council. And secondly, when we are in positions of power in the multilaterals, I think we act against the interests of most of the people on the continent. And I say we, meaning our uh, leadership in Pretoria. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and um, I'd just like to change the topic a little bit. And, I mean, earlier on you were speaking about um, the economy and, and, and how we're unlikely to really pick up. You know, we opened the year to good news of petrol in, uh, prices going down. And also last year, during the festive season, we had some, some petrol um, prices going down. Surely it's a bit of a relief, uh, uh, Professor Bond. Yeah, so any time you can uh, make some savings uh, that would be uh, quite immediately felt by low-income people, depending on whether um, you know these fluctuating oil prices do get passed on through our regulatory administered pricing system here in South Africa. Um, and certainly that's better than a Zimbabwe where people are still queuing and there's enough foreign currency to bring in the petrol. We're very fortunate. Um, but to me, the um, major problem remains that we are still exporting uh, raw materials, and unless China somehow miraculously picks up its demand and makes the Belt and Road Initiative, including in several East African countries uh, where they've started things like ports at uh, Lamu in Kenya or the railroad from Mombasa to Nairobi or um, potential uh, port activity even here in South Africa in Durban. But it doesn't look like the Chinese economy is going to uh, pick up. In fact, it looks like it's on the edge of a cliff and might fall off. And it doesn't look like the Belt and Road Initiative is, as promised, like the period 2011 to 13, really going to move uh, the demand for African raw materials. Do you remember back in 2011 to 13? Uh, that's when um, we basically hit the peak of our commodity super cycle. Mm. And so Africa still continued to boom. There was still talk of Africa rising. It's really since the end of that super cycle that we've realized that, oh, we became too addicted to exporting raw materials. And now if we don't have the demand mm. in the world economy, the whole continent, and that includes this country because of our coal, our iron, or our gold, and our platinum exports, they're going to suffer and we're going to suffer as well. So I think it might be a, a wake-up call. The deglobalization, the financial crashes going on, mm. um, the overproduction problems, especially in the Chinese engine, we should be maybe trying to balance our economies and having more internal economic activity especially balancing and producing more manufactured goods. I think there's only one African economy you can say is moving in that direction, Ethiopia. Unfortunately, it's a sort of sweatshop export-led model rather than the more balanced economic activity that we desperately need. And unfortunately, I think with um, perhaps uh, one or two exceptions, but basically most of the African leadership still takes the Washington consensus point of view. They still are being pushed and pulled by the credit ratings agencies mm. to have the export-oriented model rather than meeting our basic needs. So I'm quite pessimistic until we have some big shake-ups. It's not that we haven't had these shake-ups. We're mm. getting the aid medicine for free, getting uh, fees must fall last year so students can come to university for free, having free water and electricity through community protests in the townships. It does show that you can eventually build an economy bottom-up that's more fair. But right now, the pressure is top-down terribly unfair and they're doing a lot of destruction. Well, that's the voice of per- Professor Patrick Bond on the line to us. We're also speaking to Dr. Martin Rupi. I'd like to take our last break and then uh, really try to, to sum up um, the discussion and also go into a bit of the land reform issue in South Africa. You know, we can't have a debate about South Africa without including um, the land reform um, topic after the break. 
Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize it's just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements, the voice of the African Renaissance, from an African perspective. Welcome back to African Dialogues, 25 minutes to 12. We are going to be listening to our sports news in a while, also our econ. But right now we are continuing with our discussion. We're looking at 2019 and what should we look out for? What stories are going to make headlines or are likely to make headlines or continue to make headlines? Um, Dr. Rupee, I'd like to pick up on the land issue in South Africa. Now, the land report was adopted last year. Um, and there was a lot of opposition and complaints that, you know, the submissions were not thoroughly done and not everybody was given a chance to, 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 to submit um, their they, they part. Where do you see the debate going um, this year? Before I respond to that, let me say one or two, you know, very quick points on the oil uh, or fuel and, and, and yes. you know, decrease and, and whether or not it's going to impact positively on the South African community. Mm, sure. There are two developments that may be, you know, interesting to our, you know, uh, listeners. The first is that South Africa has just invested in 2018 one billion U.S. dollars in South Sudan Abia, you know, oil, uh, um, you know, area. Mm. So whether or not the events that are now happening in Khartoum, as we speak. Uh, uh, are going to undermine that investment or not is something else. But that's one reality. The second is that uh, when Trump abandoned the six-party agreement with Iran, uh, South Africa was one of the major beneficiaries when that agreement was reached. So Iran, again, has been sanctioned or stopped from supplying you know, very cheap oil to South Africa. So in the discussions towards you know reaching uh, uh, cheap, readily available, uh, uh, which if you look at the OPEC rates, they are, you know, bordering around 45 US dollars per barrel. Mm. Those two elements, I think, are something that we cannot dismiss. 
or, or look forward to. Mm. Now, in terms of land reform in South Africa, we did a paper about a year, 18 months ago, which looked at the 2004 Communal Lands Act you know, in South Africa, uh, which is an area posing some sort of contradiction on what in which direction the government would like to move. Uh, this is a very sensitive you know, area, a very complex one as well. But I think one of the things that we found, focusing completely on the communal areas, was that the power relations had changed. What government was attempting to um, you know, introduce in the communal areas uh, clashed directly you know, with the you know, you know, uh, traditional leaders, you know, customary uh, uh, leaders, etc. And, and that area is still has to be addressed. Uh, and, and that area also spoke to, you know, expropriation without compensation. Uh, so, so in this larger debate, one has to take into account the dynamics that have not really entered, uh, you know, the center of the debate around government uh, uh, having serious contradictions with the communal, you know, land areas. But, you know, bottom line, mm-hmm. land uh, uh, is an area that is complex. Um, almost every country is, you know, uh, faced with that, and, and uh, South Africa is now moving also, you know, in the area of, uh, you know, land uh, disputes and land settlements. Professor Bond, are people really interested in this debate on land, or are they more concerned about jobs, health, and education? Well, yes, the big comparison that people turn to is Zimbabwe's uh, land reform, the so-called Jambanja. Martin knows this so much better than I do, I'm embarrassed, but I agree with everything he said. Mm. The thing that, that we don't have that Zimbabwe uh, had in 2000 that really compelled a sort of major change in land, uh, I, I think Martin would agree, is um, we didn't have, uh, we don't have now the fragility of a ruling party about to lose power as appeared to be the case when Robert Mugabe lost a constitutional referendum in February of 2000 and then uh, basically promoted land reform as a populist vote gathering measure, but it was well, well overdue because of uh, how few white farmers uh, mm. since colonialism had become uh, such uh, strong settlers and had become stronger in the 90s liberalization period. The second thing is we don't have in South Africa a stronger sort of rural social movement mm. that demands uh, land justice. Um, and I think it's those kinds of relations we should look at across Africa, uh, looking at 2019, just because Martin did a couple of months ago such a good article in the Mail and Guardian about Gabon, maybe he can have the last word because this coup that's unfolding could be very, very bad, uh, as any coup you'd immediately assume is a bad uh, outcome to um, a political instability. On the other hand, if it delivers somebody like a, a Thomas Sankara, who in 1983 uh, had a coup against the corrupt regime in Burkina Faso, and, and at least for four years until he was uh, the victim of a coup, did some extremely interesting experiments. Or another example, the Portuguese. They had a coup um, against um, a, a bad fascist government in 1974, and it led to the liberation of Angola, Mozambique, and, and Cape Verde, and Guinea-Bissau in, in the, within a year. I mean, those are sometimes coups that actually are good for Africans. So it's a very interesting question now, what uh, would a Gabon, what would the general state of unrest across Africa, having just looked at the latest data on protests across the continent, it's quite impressive how many uh, parts of the continent have active citizenry. Maybe South Africa amongst the top two or three because of all of the community protests against uh, bad government or, or uh, especially employers who don't pay enough. That's the main reason for uh, protests. But it seems to me that would be where we'd all want to look for 2019. Increasing the ability of 
civil society to make change against bad governments, against uh, Western and BRICS powers that mean them no uh, um, good, and I think ultimately to take uh, a stronger ideology that calls for progress, democracy, and economic uh, justice, uh, gender justice, uh, and that to me is what we should be infusing every discussion with. Uh, Martin, do you think Bond is going to give us that? Well, uh, Patrick, you asked a very good question. Two hours before I came on this line, <laughs> I was already fielding, uh, you know, questions on that. The military mm. at 5.30 this morning appeared on radio after firing a few shots that they'd taken over in the name of restoring democracy. Mm. And certainly the country has been run by one family for more than 50 years. Curious also uh, for the international dynamics is that uh, the United States had just landed uh, some troops, eight troops, uh, watching Kinshasa, whether or not the crisis in Kinshasa would deteriorate. And yet, right where they were, in Gabon, mm. then these soldiers marched and, and just took over. Secondly, yeah. uh, you may need some sense. The, the 44 political parties in Gabon across the line are calling for at least a two-year uh, interim government, restoring institutions, and, and, you know, getting democracy back on the rail. So the developments in Gabon are very interesting uh, going forward. And, I mean, it's not the first time we would see such a, a coup happening in Africa. We had that with Zimbabwe, Dr. Rapia. Certainly. I mm. mean, every time soldiers, you know, uh, they jump into the radio <laughs> station where you are, I understand, first thing they say is we're restoring democracy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so it's a very popular, in, in, you know, uh, uh, story. But certainly uh, uh, in Gabon, you need something to happen. Uh, certainly when uh, uh, in Rihad, Saudi Arabia, when Ali Bongo collapsed and went into you know, heart surgery, the TAs of the Bongo family you know, uh, uh, in Gabon changed the constitution. Mm. And the African Union raised the concern around that. But they were unable to do anything. They changed the constitution, uh, saying, you know, president is temporarily unavailable today he is sick after five six weeks he is mm. still you know in morocco uh, so, so you need something to happen mm. but exactly what uh, um, both west africa is the sub-region and the african union have been unable to assist civil society in gabon is very weak uh, uh, and and global uh, the united nations uh, are unable to also assist so yes we have a problem there the way is going to be solved I'm not sure, but for now, we have soldiers dressed in uniform, uh, a lieutenant uh, uh, sitting there, uh, uh, Lieutenant Kelly Ondo Obiang, mm. saying he's trying to restore democracy. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rupia. When we do discuss uh, Gabon, we will get in touch with you most definitely. <laughs> I'm going to, to switch off my phone. <laughs> That's the voice of Dr. Martin Rupia, who's an executive director at the African Public Policy and Research Institute. He's also joined on the line by Professor Patrick Bond, who's a political economist. Thank you both so much for giving us your time. Thank you so much. And a happy new year. Thank you. Thank you.